listening to the Online Empire Academy podcast, where you'll discover some of the best and most creative ways to provide for your family and get started on your journey to entrepreneurship. No crazy get-rich-quick schemes. No living in a van down by the river with your family while you build your business. If you want real, actionable, and proven entrepreneur ideas that you can use right now, join us for free at theonlineempireacademy.com. Now, get ready for the Online Empire Academy podcast. What's up, Online Empire Academy? Joshua Woodward here. Today, we have Daryl Weber on, and this is the 2.0. We had him earlier uh, on just to talk about branding to kind of get this, this idea started, but he recently put out a book called Brand Seduction, and it goes through the idea of uh, how neuroscience can help marketers build memorable brands. Yes, I'm reading that because I couldn't remember all of it, but Daryl, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. I'm excited. If you guys hadn't watched our last live show um, with with Dean and I, we just kind of really, both of us are getting passionate about branding, uh, especially with some of the things that Amazon's rolling out and, and some of the things that we're doing as a team. Uh, branding is becoming more and more relevant and more and more important with uh, becoming an e- e-commerce seller. And And we talked about how important it is to set your future up to develop a brand. And so I think it's so timely and so exciting to have Daryl on again. Um, and especially with his book coming out all about branding, I think it's a, a really, a really timely thing. So, uh, Daryl, will you just give a little background about this book and, and how you got started with this concept? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, it started out, I, I just was fascinated by how the brain works and how the mind works in general. Um, in undergrad, I studied psychology and focused on cognitive neuroscience and just out of that fascination for kind of wanting to understand how people work, you know, how, how, how we tick. Um, and then I, I started working in marketing, you know, over 15 years ago now um, in advertising and, and a brand strategy consulting firm. And all through that time, I was always just you know, curious about how the psychology of it fits into this whole thing. Like a lot of marketers are talking about all these different you know, ways of reaching people and connecting with consumers, but it felt like they weren't truly understanding how they were connecting to the consumers' ma- minds and brains. Um, it felt like, you know, maybe they were making a lot of assumptions and uh, the science wasn't quite there. And, I, you know, I, I, just because of that, I wanted to dig more deeply into it and say, well, really, how, how do consumers' minds operate? How are we getting them to buy one thing over another? How does consumer loyalty work, right? How do we get someone to be habitually buying our brand or product? Um, and these are things that, that have been studied, right? There's actually a ton of research on consumer psychology and consumer behavior, and there's uh, academic journals and people who study this, but it wasn't getting communicated over to the, the marketers that I thought could benefit from it. Mm. So, with my book, you know, I, I was sort of fascinated by that stuff. I was reading it. I was interested in it. But I found that all the people that I was working with weren't aware of it. So I wanted to write a book that could really translate it over and, and kind of bridge that gap um, and do it in a way that was uh, insightful, fun to read, hopefully uh, entertaining and interesting, but also just like easily applicable to especially the creatives in marketing. Um, I don't know if your audience knows, but there's a lot of, you know, these these creative types that work in sort of advertising and, and designers, um, and they tend to not be so interested in the sciencey side of it. You know, so I, I wanted to write it in a way that it's more like TED Talk style, where it's really it's interesting and it's what fascinates me about these kinds of things and how the mind and brain works. Um, so I wanted to communicate that over, and then of course do it in a way that's applicable, right, and, and can help us build sort of better brands if we have a better understanding of how the mind and brain works. Okay. So that was kind of the initial impetus for it. 
man, I, I love yeah. it. And there's there's so much of it that I I am so illiterate. Or you know my my uh, you know my dad always talks about not being computer savvy. He's like I'm I'm just computer dumb. And I'm like I I feel like anytime I start getting into like obviously neuroscience is such a huge topic, but but then yeah. as a branding as a whole it. it it is it is a scary thing in my opinion. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, how do I develop a brand that's going to appeal? But one of the things, one of the takeaways I had had last time I had talked to you was this idea of, um, you, you know, giving people something to attach themselves to. I, I, I think I think it, uh, you you had given the the representation of like, um, give them the drill, not the hole in the wall, or something like that. And and I. I I don't know. I've kind of taken the same mindset of like, I want to build something with my brands that actually changes history. And, and so it, it's, it's really stuck with me just kind of, I'm, I get excited about this idea of branding. So well, I, I, you, you said, um, assumptions, not actions. I, I love this idea of, you know, so many different people are making assumptions. So many people are doing that, but, but you've, you've actually taken action and, given background and given these these studies a a real book like like something that i can tangibly hold and 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 look at can you explain how do we even get started <laughs> yeah uh, so one of those assumptions is this idea that consumers are rational. So that we we kind of think, you know, if we give a better product at a better price and we show them, here's how my product is better than the competitors, consumers should buy that product, right? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. You know, if we uh, in a sort of classical economics, like that model kind of makes sense, like that's how people should operate. But unfortunately, the truth is humans are just not that rational. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we We tend to make poor decisions. We make quick decisions based on sort of gut feel. Um, and as many sort of scientific uh, re- research is showing and studies are showing, um, we're just not as rational as we think we are. We tend to think, yeah, I'm, I'm, I know why I bought this thing or I know why I made that you know, decision. Um, but really, there's so much that's influencing, influencing us subconsciously um, and things that kind of just uh, move us or subtly nudge us from one thing to another that we're just not aware of. Um, and that's what I thought was fascinating. And that was one of those sort of key assumptions that I see marketers make all the time, you know, that we need to convince the people that our product is better. Um, and yes, that can work. And, and so- certainly the conscious mind does play a role, but there's really a lot more going on beneath the surface that is maybe uh, tricking us or, you know, that we're not, that's just not fully available to consciousness. And, and that's what I wanted to dive into. Um, and I can give you some examples of that, maybe to yeah, make, make it a little bit more real. Um, a classic uh, example of um, when our, our brain just sort of takes a trick is they're called heuristics. And these are sort of rules of thumb or shortcuts, you can think of them, that the brain takes. And they evolved, they evolutionarily, they made a ton of sense. Um, you know, back, you know, millions of years ago, we're talking, uh, we had to make quick decisions. You didn't want to think too much about things. You just had to know, should I go this way? Is, is that a predator? You know, is this something uh, I can eat? Should I camp here? Right. And you had to have a feel for what, if that was right or not. If you spent too long sort of deliberating and trying to figure it out, maybe you're eating, maybe you missed the chance to eat something, you know, it wouldn't work. So our minds kind of evolved to really be sort of lazy in a way and not take too much energy or effort and to go with what quickly feels right. Uh, um, so there's a lot of these things called heuristics that help guide us. 
Uh, I can talk you through a couple of examples. One, one great one's called anchoring. Um, and, and probably if your, your listeners are, you know, looked into pricing or the science behind pricing, they, they've come across this where if you're exposed to a number, it can be any number. Um, it'll actually affect how you then perceive and act on numbers following that, even if it's totally unrelated. So, uh, Dan Ariely is a, a great behavioral economist, economist. Um, I think he's out of uh, Duke University right now. Um, did, a fascinating study with his uh, undergrads um, where he, ha- he, show- he had them all write down the last two digits of their social security number, right? So that's two random digits, doesn't, ma- doesn't mean anything. They write it down, they ignore it. Then he had them do an auction with real products. So um, it was like chocolates and wine and like a Bluetooth keyboard, electronics, things you might, you know, sort of are aware of, but don't actually know the price. And he had them bid their real money on it. And, you know, there's a few hundreds of kids in, in these classes and he did a f- over a few classes. So you have hundreds of samples here. Um, and what he found was amazing that the people with the higher number social security numbers from, you know, the last two digits, yeah. uh, my last two digits are nine and seven. So I would have, I would be in that sort of top number. Those people tended to bid on average three times more than people who had a low social security number before, heck? right? That's amazing to me. That's a, a totally, you know, random number. If you ask them, oh no, of course my social security number didn't affect my bid with my real money. I wouldn't let that affect it, right? Yeah. But clearly there was an effect there and, and our minds are being sort of tricked by something totally random like that. And there's been tons of studies that show a similar thing. That's why, you know, with pricing, you see Amazon does this for sure, where you see the crossed out list price and then you show yeah. a lower price. That's yeah. proven to sort of work. It's like, oh, well, I would have paid that. Or infomercials, of course, tap into this, right? Where they say, $500 and then cross that out and say, no, 400 or 300 And then it's like, well, just three payments of $29.99. And you're like, now that sounds like a bargain, right? Yeah. So anchoring is one of those sort of classic effects, but there's tons of these. Um, and all, and they're all kind of subtly influencing our behavior without us realizing it. That's the key, right? That anchoring, we don't know what's happening, but it's happening. Oh my gosh. Because I've, I've totally seen that tactic used on Amazon where realistically it's only a few cents like right. you know i've seen i've seen it literally where where on amazon's birthday or amazon day or whatever they called it like there was things for one cent cheaper and they had this big x over it and i was like this is ridiculous <laughs> but it totally for me i was like oh oh there's a there's a time on it you know there's there's you know it's scarcity it's dealing with yep. all these different areas that i'm going Oh no, like I've got to buy this Bluetooth speaker. I'm like, I never wanted a Bluetooth speaker before this, but now I want one because it's got an X'd out price. But so what would you suggest to uh, us as, as sellers? What would you suggest that we do to kind of tap into that, that carnal nature, I guess? I mean, you're, you're talking about evolution. Like how, how do I tap into yeah. that? Yeah, I mean, it's true. I know it might sound a little crazy, but it's like we are primal creatures, uh, you know, at, at our core. Uh, we evolved for millions of years. We, we didn't evolve for sort of Walmart, you know, and shopping in stores <laughs> and shopping online on Amazon. We evolved for survival in the savannah, and, but our brains still function that way. Um, we're really using ancient machinery for kind of a new purpose. Right. Um, and we like to think that we're these modern creatures and that we, we know what we're doing and everything. But no, we're, our bodies are still thinking they're living in the savannah. Like in terms of evolution, you know, the modern sort of digital world is a blink of time, right? Like we're still the savannah creatures just kind of <laughs> navigating through this digital world. Um, so I think having that mindset actually helps. And I do take that view in, in my book of looking at the evolutionary psychology of how the brain evolved, why these sort of tricks of mind are there, because they did serve a purpose and were, and were very valuable at the time. Um, but now we're just, you know, it's not as useful. Um, so sorry. Yeah, that was just uh, going back to, to why we're, we're looking at it that way. Um, 
and the way I explain it in the book, I go through kind of how the unconscious mind operates in a lot of different angles. So how we actually perceive the world is, is through, there's a lot of illusions that you're probably familiar with optical illusions, but, um, there's sort of, or, you know, auditory illusions and just how we see and piece together the world is actually based a lot on our expectations and what we expect to see matters. Um, so for example, with taste, uh, a wine bottle, um, the price of the wine bottle will affect how we actually taste it, you know, and what? a more expensive bottle has shown to actually taste better than if you put the same bottle with a lower price. Are you serious? Right? And they've actually done brain scans that have shown the difference, right? It's the exact same liquid, but because we told someone it was $99 versus $9, they actually taste it differently and say it tastes much better at $99. Are you serious? Right? So, there's all these kinds of things. So <laughs> and I, cool. I talk about um, emotions as a great one, right? So a lot of marketers today, everyone's talking about emotions and how we need to tap into consumers emotionally and connect with them emotionally. Um, what I found in working with marketers is that there's a lot of confusion around what that means, what emotions really are. Uh, and so I, I try to actually give a sort of updated definition on what emotions are and how we can tap into them. Um, I think people are becoming more aware that maybe we're not as rational as we think so, but they think that means then we need to reach people emotionally. So what's happening is, and you might see this trend in advertising today, is that uh, a lot of brands are doing very emotional advertising. So yeah. like, you know, every ad seems to make us cry <laughs> or laugh, like something super touching with sad piano music playing. And then you're crying by the end of it. And you're wondering why a shampoo brand is telling you how to live your life and you're crying <laughs> for it, right? Uh, I think they've taken it to this very literal definition of we need to be emotional in our advertising. Um, but actually, emotions are one of these evolutionary tricks uh, that get us to act. Emotions exist to, to get us to do the right thing. So mm. If something pleases us, we want to do it more. If it disgusts us, we should avoid it. If we're angry, maybe we should fight it. You know, they're really evolutionary at their core. Um, and they actually help drive our decision-making. So if you look at them that way, actually emotions become this much more subtle thing. Um, and I talk about how we can build brands that create the right sort of gut feeling and this right sort of subconscious emotions. So I think typically we think of conscious emotions like happiness or pride or sadness, um, but actually subconscious emotions are very powerful and that's what's guiding our decisions. Um, and so the way that that could come to life for, for some of you know listeners who are building brands themselves, uh, you can build a brand personality or brand mood or a feel. Yeah. That's actually super important. I think people really discount that and they, they don't think it's that important, you know, how my brand kind of looks and feels or its personality or its tone of voice. But those things, that's telling your subconscious mind, is this a brand I trust? Is this something I'm excited by? Am I, do I want to move towards this? Am I attracted to it? Yeah. Those little hints, your subconscious is picking up on all of them. Um, and as, as marketers and brand builders, we should make sure that everything is building that right gut feel for your brand because that's really what's going to drive people to it not necessarily the conscious message that we we tend to spend most of our time building that it's so messing with my brain right now because you know you're talking about commercials i i love cars i just have always loved cars and uh ford is putting out a brand new ford gt this car costs as much as a house and you know you think of, of ford as being this this you know big brand and you know it's it's but it's low prices it's not necessarily this you know it's you go to the lincolns you know they're they're a higher brand to get a better car but here is this ford gt as much as a house and their entire like the entire lead up to the showing this vehicle on their commercial is this kid riding in on this 1980 i think it was a 1986 uh gt 
I'm I'm facing I'm spacing the exact bike, but it's it's targeted towards this audience who saw the first in the early 2000s saw the GT but couldn't buy it, and now that generation who rode these 1980s BMX bikes is looking at this and going, oh my gosh, I'm having this emotion, I'm having this feeling about this vehicle, and I dude, it's so like you're talking through this, and I'm like that I I had this emotion. And I was only able to distinguish this bike because I've sold those parts before. And and so mm. I was like, I know what bike that is. I know who they're trying to attract in this. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, all the kids that are around this would have been the same age as the person watching this video when that bike came out. It was like so many different levels and so many, touching on so many different things, but the majority of it, like one of the biggest questions is, can Ford sell a car in the Ferrari level? And, you know, that that Ferrari price tag. What would you say to that? I mean, they've touched on so many different things. What would you say to us as sellers wanting to price our stuff at where it should be, not where we think the market will hold it? Right. Um, yeah, that's a great example from Ford. I'm sure they're, they're tapping into some nostalgia there, right? Yeah. And, and people who remember that. And that's a great sort of association to connect with their brand. Um, in terms of like, yeah, having higher price things, I think, you know, Lexus and Toyota, it's, it's the same company that owns both. Yeah. I think they're, they're very smart to divide those two brands, right? Because it allows Lexus to just be purely luxury. And that feels like a luxury brand, right? And you, you know, you're going there for certain things, you know, it's going to be priced at a certain level. But then it also allows Toyota to own the more sort of value-oriented um, family-type vehicles uh, and live that purely. If you tried to have a Toyota that was high-priced like a Lexus, it would, it would sort of dilute both sides of that, right? It, it wouldn't allow the luxury to be like the pure luxury status symbol that it is because it would say, hey, everyone's sort of driving this car and, and you want some prestige and exclusivity up there. Um, so I think that's really smart that they separated it out. Like Ford, I think, would have that problem too because Ford sits kind of more in that Toyota territory um, to do, and I know they have a range of of vehicles, obviously, but um, to do a a true luxury product would be hard, I think, and and not so believable from Ford. They would probably need a a different brand, right, uh, to own that part of it. Because, you know, each brand wants to have its own sort of feel and personality. And if you try to move it across two or a few different ones, it it gets muddy uh, and then it's a little tricky. Um, so I'd say for yeah, your listeners, I mean, there's a bit of price el- elasticity, you know, with any within any category, and you can push it a certain amount. But if you really want to have a different offering, if you wanted to have a different feel, reach a different target, different mm-hmm. consumer, I would say, you know, look at having two different brands for those then. That's that's really good. I you know one of the things we were tackling was, um, you know, don't it may not be appropriate to have pool floaties and. Uh, you know, uh, technical equipment in the same category, like under your same brand. And I think it's good to hear just even from you of like, hey, kind of separate things out a little bit, like have maybe have an account that's dedicated just for the listeners, have an account that's dedicated to technology or have an account that's dedicated to family fun or, you know, like like if you're going to have two totally because a $500 computer is not going to sell with the, you know, $6 sand toys, you know, it's it's just you can't. I don't think that it's going to work on that same level. I, I, I see. I think this is also interesting. What are some other things that you found in pricing that are kind of changing the industry? Um, well, I mean, price is one of those associations that really lend a big uh, impression of a brand, right? They're an important factor in how consumers will now view the whole rest of your brand. So. Often prices, that sort of like window or lens that they then judge everything else by. Um, 
I'll give you an example of brands I worked on. Uh, you'll, you'll know the vodka Kettle One um, versus Grey Goose. They're actually priced pretty similarly. Um, but if you look at the category of those sort of super premium uh, vodkas, especially uh, this is about 10 years ago that I was doing this work, uh, all the brands seem to be very sort of sleek and minimalistic, you know, mm. clean design. Uh, and that's what Grey Goose was. But Kettle One had a very different look and feel, right? It was a bit more rustic heritage. It had some history to it. It was more robust of a bottle. Um, and if people who didn't know the brand, if they just saw that bottle, thought, oh, that's kind of a mid-market vodka mm. or even lower tier vodka, just sort of from the look of it. Huh. But when they saw the price of it, it, it put everything in a different perspective. They said, oh, that's a premium vodka just based on the price. And now they saw those design elements in a different way. They said, oh, that's a, a real deal vodka. This has like history to it. And this is like, you know, authentic. These are probably what people like back in the old Europe, you know, they didn't really know, but they're guessing like Poland probably drank, um, even though the, the brand is from the Netherlands. <laughs> it's Dutch. Um, it gave it this kind of like true heritage, but that price made such a difference in how they see the rest of the brand, right? So, uh, I think people see price as sort of at the end of the, you know, you've convinced them to buy it. Now they see the price and they're going to see if they buy it or not. Think of it at the front too, right? It's like, that's going to uh, change the perceptions of how people see your whole product. Mm-hmm. Just like I said with the wines, right? Like if you see a high price wine, you're like, oh, this is going to be good stuff. And then you taste it and you're probably more likely to like it and pay attention to it. And um, all those things can matter. Wow. I, I, and this is, it's, it's such, I know I, my notes are already full. I know that I'm going to have to go back and listen to this because there's, there's so many little things that, that I know I could press into and I know I could ask more questions, but I, I'm just trying to wrap my brain around just the idea of like, okay, one of the questions I have is what about, you just talked about the label and how the bottle looks. What about packaging? How do we optimize the customer experience with our packaging? Yeah, packaging is so important. Design matters so much. It's a, a classic saying, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words. Um, I think we spend so much time on like the, the message that we're going to tell and, and the, you know, unique selling proposition and what the sort of headline is. But actually the look and feel without any words being involved communicates so much, right? Um, they tell you what this brand is about, who it's for, where it's from. Um, and your subconscious, again, is picking up on those little hints and cues um, and telling you how to feel about this thing. And even if you don't think about it consciously, even if it's a quick glance from a shelf across the room, your subconscious is really picking up a lot more than we realize. Uh, so all those things matter so much. And that's a point I really hit home in the book too and, and explain more how to do it. Um, but quickly, I mean, being clear on what your brand's personality is, I think is the start. That's how you have to, you have to um, you know, that'll be your basis for how you then build all your brand tools and communication. So knowing, like being, you know, trying to articulate it and get it down as like, is my brand like I just described Grey Goose as sort of clean and sleek and minimalist and premium versus Kettle One, which is authentic and heritage and has this uh, story to it, right? And um, feels robust. It feels very different, right? Those are very different brand feels, even if the liquid inside, the product itself is is basically identical, right? It's huh. very hard to distinguish the liquids. Um but the brands feel very different, right? So if you can define your brand's feel and say, okay, we want my brand to feel whatever it is, you know, modern or if it's fun or if it's cozy and fluffy, whatever it is, and be abstract about it, right? It doesn't have to describe the product. It's describing the feeling and the mood of your product. And if you can get that down, so, you know, to get abstract, you know, you can use some words, adjectives help, but then go beyond language uh images doing a mood board um that can totally help or even like sounds or 
characters from movies or TV shows that tap into a piece of your brand, those things are important. I think most marketers discount how important they are, but that's what I'm trying to push people to say. This is the unconscious side of your brand, and it's super important. So if you can get you know a real strategy behind this is how we want our brand to feel, mm-hmm. that then can be used to brief your designers. I think actually graphic designers are great at this. They know that a slight difference in color shading or a different angle here or a different typeface or font makes the brand look and feel very different. Mm-hmm. You know They know how important that is. But I think marketers and business owners tend to lose sight of that. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's just a decision. It's just if it looks cool or not. No, that's super important. And that's going to affect how your consumers and customers uh, look at you and if they're going to decide to buy you in the end, right? So yeah, for design, I know this is a long answer, but uh, get get your brand personality down first, be abstract about it, be really clear about it, and then make sure that's coming to life through your design. Make sure your design is speaking, communicating that personality you want, and that it's, you know, of course, different from the competition, that it uh, stands out, that it connects with your consumers in the right way, um, that it's doing all these right things, right? So you can really think strategically about your brand's personality and feel, and I don't think enough people do that. Yeah, and that's that's really a, a my private label people. You need to write notes on what he just said because that that's absolute gold. You know, I'm thinking about the things that I've been working on, and and you know, I've I've talked several times in the podcast about uh, me and my dad having our uh, our bike company, these old vintage Schwins, and building this following around it. But what I've recognized is we haven't always optimized our listing titles to match the feel of our brand. What would you say to, I mean, pr- pr- primarily the mo- majority of us are selling on Amazon, eBay, Etsy, Shopify, those kinds of things. We're creating our own listings. We're creating our own titles. What would you say to those people to optimize those titles to actually run into this, this all everything we've talked about, this feeling, this emotion, this, this side... Uh, Everything we've talked about. I don't even know how to put my finger yeah, on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the brand sort of tone of voice, you know, you could say, or the personality. Um, yeah. So the same is true for headlines, right? And it comes down to this. How you say it might be more important than what you say, Ooh. right? So um, a lot of people, you know, focus on the message and, oh, well, I'm going to tell them this thing is different and whatever. And that's still important. You know, you still want to have a good message. That's, um, and we can talk about that, the conscious side of it. But the unconscious side of it is that the, the tone that it comes through and the voice that you're saying it in Um, because that will instill trust and credibility or fun or liveliness or whatever it is you're trying to get across, right? So I'd say make sure the how and the voice that it's it's being said in is is what you want to communicate because that's also communicating. Then in terms of the what, which still is important, um, the conscious side of it, uh, you know, make sure you're not just describing your product, right? You're not just this is, goes back to the, actually that quote that we talked about last time that the consumer doesn't just want a quarter inch drill. They want a quarter inch hole. Yeah. Right. So if you, if you describe the drill in detail, it's like, okay, great. That's the drill. I guess I want that. But really, why are they shopping for a drill? It's because they want a hole, right? It's because ah. the job they want it to do um, and the result that they want out of it. So keep that in mind, right? I think we have a tendency, especially when you're selling like a very specific product to just sell the product and, and tell you what that's about. But really remind yourself, why is the person even looking for this at all? What job does it solve in their life? What is the problem that they're looking to be solved? And have your headline speak to that problem. Right. And that'll tap in. Oh, right. That's what I need solved. That'll hit them more directly. Otherwise, it's indirect, right? It's like, well, I need this hole. What do I need? I guess I need a drill. Okay. This is the drill I need. It's like, hey, this is going to fix your hole. It's boom. I got it. That's what I need. Um, and anything you can do to reduce friction like that is going to be helpful. 
Gosh. Yeah, we talk about keywords all the time, and that's a huge subject. But I think that keywords can be boiled down to what you said. Why is this person looking for your product at all? Like, why why are they Googling, you know, you know, charger or whatever they're Googling? Like, why is it that they would even Google their, your product and or search it on Amazon? What would you give, uh, just kind of a, a last word before we, we head out, um, what, what would you give to the audience? Uh, <laughs> just a piece of advice you're saying? Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> I think I've probably hit on uh, my main themes a lot today. Uh, my, I guess my biggest thing, when you're, when you're looking at what customers need, and um, I see a lot of people do market research today. Uh, this is a more sort of practical example. But um, if you're doing surveys or focus groups or asking people you know, and saying, hey, would you buy this product? Uh, just remember that that's you're asking their conscious mind, and their conscious mind is probably going to give you some kind of justification mm-hmm. or reason why they think they might buy something, but that's often not the real case, right? So you can still talk to people. It's still good to get their conscious reactions, but just make sure you're looking behind their words. Look at the real like motivation. Why are they saying what they're saying? What do they really mean by that? And try to probe a little deeper, right? Um, and even if you can, getting more abstract and saying, well, how does how does that feel? Like, how would you make that feel? And it, you know, I like to use sort of collages and different exercises where you get people to put abstract images and you kind of get a sense for how they're relating to a category or product. That stuff can be super valuable, right? So I think, you know, we have a tendency to just ask people directly, do a survey, would you buy this or something? Those things are highly unreliable. I think a lot of market research has been flawed. Um, the best way, obviously, is to see if people will actually buy your product, right? And tweak things there. That's behavior never lies. Um, but I would say, you know, if, if people are doing that kind of market research where they're straight up asking, um, make sure you're, you're, you're doing it carefully and looking behind their words and around the words, uh, not just taking it at face value. Behavior never lies. That is a huge <laughs> note right there. Well, uh, where, what's the best place to get in, in touch with you and also get your new book? Yeah, thanks. Um, you can learn more about me, my book. I had a couple of products I'm selling myself. It's all at, at daryl-weber.com. That's D-A-R-Y-L-Weber, W-E-B-E-R.com. The book, again, is called Brand Seduction. You can find it uh, wherever books are sold. It just started hitting shelves uh, in April, um, and it's on Amazon, Kindle edition. There's an MP3 version. Uh, they got the whole thing going, so it, it's just launched. I'm super excited about it, and um I'd love to hear what anyone thinks. If you want to give me feedback, I'm always welcome to it. Perfect. Well, man, thank you so much for coming on. I I will need to go back and listen to this several times. (laughs) Sure, yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Well, until next time, Empire, have a fantastic day. I will make sure to put the original link to the beginning podcast in in the uh, description below. So go check that out. Um, he he has also a product called Base Brights, and um, and it's it's really cool. Like just even the branding behind that. It's it uh, there's some amazing content there, guys. I hope you enjoyed it just as much as I did. Uh, get in touch with us on Facebook um, as well as on our YouTube page. So until next time, Empire, have a fantastic day. Thank you for listening to the Online Empire Academy podcast. If you want real, actionable, and proven entrepreneur ideas that you can use right now, join us for free at theonlineempireacademy.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, help us make more by rating us on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. We'll see you next time.